Okay, this is the Whitetail Experience Podcast. I am your host, Byron Horton, and joining me with some technical difficulties, may have got it figured out, Mr. David Ebright. Dave, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here. First one I've been on. Don't you feel like a big timer now? We're a podcast host. <laughs> it still feels as weird as my very first podcast. That's all right, dude. We've got a lot of decent, um, like positive feedback. And, and I think it's just guys that follow the video content or dig in just the podcast perspective on what we got going on. Um, just, you know, the, the core whitetail experience follower likes the podcast, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I mean, I'm glad because I feel weird as hell when I do them. Sure. Sure. So today on the podcast, we, we took a few questions on our Instagram. Thanks, guys, for commenting in on that aspect. And, um, you know, Dave and I are going to talk on these. Some of these are, are current related, what's going on as far as what we got and, and what we're doing with our hunting. And um, We're just going to dive on in at this point. And our first kind of question comment came in from Mr. Greg Tubbs, and uh, he was saying, um, talk, talk a little bit about your turkey hunting plans and how, you know, you may in particular me use some of my turkey hunting to get some of my trail cameras out just because of, uh, having the baby there in June and realizing that, you know, I'm down there. I might as well do, do some of my whitetail, uh, summer work at this point. So Dave, t talk to me about birds, man. Are we going to shoot some? Well, yeah, that's always the plan. It just doesn't always work out. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we uh we lucked into some birds a couple years ago on a on a piece and uh yeah, you know, I don't think we're turkey experts by any matter and I'm not that sure. Was like, uh, yeah, and that was like end of, that was like late in the season. It was like the last weekend. And it was um like late in the day. It was like it was like noonish, wasn't it? Well, weren't we calling it we were I think we were calling it a day. And Ooh. we kind of went last hill kind of on our way out. And you cracked a couple of that box call because it's louder, which, you know, I don't know if that's the best thing to do. We, we don't know what we're doing. But, uh, and I think I saw those birds like a thousand yards away. Yeah, yeah. Well, you remember we were putting the, the Alabama creep on that one bird and we, uh, we had a deer blow and it like, the, the bird like spooked and ran away and you were, you were pissed as hell at that doe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now I do remember, yeah. And then we, yeah, we were basically rolling. Because like I said, it was late in the day too. I mean. And realistically, for at least in my limited turkey hunting experience, it's like it's like sunrise until like eight, and then like it's pretty much game over. Yeah, yeah, that's the way I feel. And uh, we made a uh, we made some mistakes that turkey season, and I'm not much better than I was that day. the The only thing I really learned that year came from um, Oh Garrett was talking to us, and he said, "When we uh, we hear birds in the roost, you you got to face it." And you and I kind of quartered to it. And we had a bird come come right in, like read the script, but we we quartered to the roost instead of directly faced it. And that bird came down a, a old logging road, and we never could get a shot on him. Yeah, we kind of thought he was going to like funnel down through into this field. Like I guess we were kind of imagining picturing it like a deer would kind of funnel down through, and he he did a little like loop de loop on us. And even then, we probably still could have shot him if we knew what we were doing because he was like twenty five yards behind us. And we didn't really think to, like, just, like, jump shoot it. Yeah. Because you could have easily just, like, said, like, screw the camera and just, like, stood up real quick and blasted it. Yeah, yeah. So, lessons learned. Whitetail experience, not pro turkey hunters. Um, <laughs> it's more of an extension of just time in the woods that's fun and, and maybe a little deer scouting on top of it. 
Yeah, and it's great. Uh, it's it's really nice to take uh, Peyton, my uh, six-year-old daughter, turkey hunt because the weather's a little nicer. Um, you know, you're for the most part, I, we normally have pretty good action as far as hearing gobbles early in the morning. So you know, she gets to at least hear them and stuff. You know, whether or not we see something, you know, is is one thing. But we did have that deer walk within like six yards of us last year on the ground. That was pretty awesome, especially for her. Oh, yeah. It doesn't get much better than that. I remember you told me after that hunt, she looked at back at you and said that was so cool. And I, I, I imagine as a dad, that doesn't get any better. Yeah. And then she was real quiet and didn't move. Yeah. And the whole, the whole nine yards. So let, let's talk um, at least uh, on some of the, the, the double dipping that we're going to do during turkey season. Um, I have made the the investment uh, in a couple extra trail cameras here this off season slash last year. And uh, I got a baby on the way and I've been talking a lot with Troy Pottinger of, of Whitetail Addictions and he's got me pretty fired up to, to, oh, deploy some mock scrapes in the big woods. And, uh, you know, if I look at my calendar, my wife's due in June, I think I'm going to go ahead and in turkey season, once that action dies off, I'm going to use some time and go ahead and deploy some of these trail cameras on mock scrapes is kind of set those up and uh, really just, you know, utilize some of these trail cams knowing that, you know, 40% of them are probably going to fail to, to some extent. And Failer. Yeah. is yeah. You, you get those things elevated and it just seems like you, you, you have errors, um, whether that be a raccoon or um, false triggers. But, you know, I think that's a, I think that's a good call out as far as, you know, utilizing your time. If, if you got to travel, you know, an hour plus to some of your, your places, um, putting out your cameras towards the tail end of turkey season could be a good, good call. You know, you've already spent the gas. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, sometimes it's hard to get away from the house, you know, so, you know, you might as well just maximize your opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, like we said, I, I think I'm going to deploy my big woods cameras. Um, I'm going to wait on the farm country stuff to kind of locate where the bean fields are going to be a hundred percent because I've just had really good luck. Uh, utilizing beans in my summer trail cameras in farm country. So it'd be foolish to, to get those out before I can see what fields are what. Um, so yeah, Greg Tubbs, thanks for the question. Um, I had a couple others come in, um, Let's, uh, let's go over Mr. Voss's question. I think it was pretty, pretty cool for like what we do, uh, the public land guy. And um, well, let me make sure I get his name. It's Dustin Voss. And so he, his, his kind of question or topic to, to talk about is deciding which tree to climb when hanging and banging on public land. So Dave, go ahead and start things off here. Well, there's a few different elements to that. Um, I guess when I think of like the hard part of deciding on which tree to hang in, that usually means like in the dark in like the morning, that's when it's the most difficult. Um, you know, in the daylight, you can obviously, you know, see a lot better. You can see the deer trails. You can um, pick the best tree with the best cover that you're not skylined, all that jazz. You can do that a little easier in the daylight. Um, so I'm not sure what, le what level of question this is asking here. But in, in my mind, I'm just going to go ahead and relate this. So if I'm picking a tree in the dark, this is by far the hardest part of picking a tree is doing it at night. If, you, if you're going in blind, you don't have any trees pre-marked. Well, hell, you can even have a tree pre-marked, you know, <laughs> or something. And, like, it only gets you so close. 
you know, you'll stand there spinning in circles, you know, and you don't want to shine your headlight, like, you know, so the world can see. So you're just kind of like, man, like, I know it's right here somewhere. So definitely when you're scouting, make notes of the tree, very specific, you know, triple trunk tree, um, tree basketball size, split at 10 feet, et cetera. Make those notes. That way it makes that a little bit easier as far as picking, finding your tree in the dark. But as far as picking just a random tree, new spot, never went in there in the dark. It's, it's kind of a crapshoot. You know, you, you can try your best. Um, I'll tell you what, I've, <laughs> I've done this uh, in the last probably two, three years. I've probably done this five times where I've climbed up a tree and it gets daylight and I realize the tree's deader than hell. <laughs> oh, I got to move now. Like, it's like, do you risk your life? because you don't want to like spook off a deer that might be like right there or do you, um, or do you get down and move to a tree 10 feet away? And uh, I know I'm not going to lie. I mean, I've hunted out dead trees before because I'm like, I'm not moving like not at all, you know? And so, I mean, picking trees in the dark is tough, man. Um, you know, number one thing, you know, learn your, um, learn your tree species the best you can. So, like now I can tell like what an ash tree is by the bark and just knowing with the ash borer coming through that all ash trees are dead. Pretty so I can, dead, yeah. I, yeah, I can find that tree in the dark and say, Nope, we can't climb this one. It's an ash. And I can see that, you know, from the base of the tree. Um, and then also just trying to find branches, trying to find, um, you know, don't, don't always, um, it, everybody talks about like find a tree that has good cover. I don't feel like the tree you're in needs to necessarily have the cover. Like I've hunted in telephone poles, but if you got like a tree or two that's right beside you, I mean, that's huge. Yeah. You know, then that gives you, um, that gives you a, a open spot to draw your bow. Like if you got a couple big trees, like within five yards from you, at some point in time, any deer coming by to want to shoot is going to be between you and those big trees. Then there's your opportunity to draw. Um, so, so sometimes, you know, finding the, uh, spots where you got a couple trees around you can help a lot. Um, and then I'm, obviously, you know, just, just trying to look up into the tree, even in the dark and just, uh, you know, just trying to find one with good cover. Yeah. Um, huge thing. You can go ahead and touch on this. I, I kind of covered some of some things. I'm sure you got a, a bunch of things as well to touch on. Well, kind of piggybacking off, off your oh, sentence or two back. Um, I, I note sometimes the uh, the trees I'm around. So I would say basketball round tree next to small beach or next to cedar. Um, yeah. So that way, because like a cedar tree, you can see in the dark. Uh, yeah. You know, it could be the only cedar on a hillside. Um, the beech tree. And sometimes I'll put, um, you know, like a, a scrape on there as well. And even if I get to within 20 yards and I can see that scrape in the dark and I kind of realize I'm probably there to either shoot the scrape or shoot a couple of these trails right in and around it. Um, that way I've got, you know, two pins in that area. I know I'm trying to hunt that area. Um, I'll, I'll sometimes also leave a, a note that a cluster of trees, 15 yards off the military crest, uh, stuff like that. Like just a, a couple yeah detailed notes that maybe aren't about the tree, but just about general area. Um, I think is good to know. And as far as hanging in the dark, you know, like, uh, I will, I will hang that stand or whatever and I will stand there. And if, 
if I don't feel good, I will, will turn my headlamp to a beam, you know, in beam mode, and, and I will look for shooting lanes. Um, a lot of times I think, you know, I'm getting there early enough that I can get away with murder sometimes. I've, I've smashed through some thickets uh, early and, and just had, had deer come in, and, and you can get away with murder if you're there early, I feel. Because I think I think that the, those last like that last time like, out, Dave. Look outside; it is a blizzard, and it is like mid-April. What? I'm telling you, this is some oh, crazy weather. It is a blizzard. All right, back to the back to the podcast. Oh yeah, oh yeah. What you said about um, like uh, how you can you know basically commit murder before uh, if you get in there early enough? Because I feel like those deer in that last like hour from like like an hour like before sunrise i think they travel the most at that time because they're i feel like they're almost like hustling to get back to safety sure. you know so, so if you're just stomping through there and then you get set up and then you got all these deer just come mingling by you you know a half hour later and 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 you're kind of like surprised like oh i can't believe that you know i was i was so loud coming through here i think it's because they were six seven hundred yards away at that time i think they just travel really far that last hour or so you know yeah yeah and then um let's shift gears to an evening hunt let's say you can scout your way in you can you can assess any tips tricks thoughts on on, on doing it then that that you think or, or do you think yeah. the, the guys generally have that one figured out well i here i mean me and you we, we've done this when we've hunted together you know you kind of get to you, you gotta you got an area you're going like say you don't have a tree in mind, but you got an area you want to go to. You get you you start getting close, so you obviously start slowing down dramatically. Then I mean, use the hell out of your binos to find trees. Oh sure, picking it apart you know, fifty yards ahead. I mean, me and you uh, have taken an hour and a half to two hours to to move that last two hundred yards at times. You know, not only are you trying to maybe sneak in close to some bedding or something, but you're also looking for a tree. Yeah. You know, I'll just stand there at times, just yeah. stand and look and just looking for the best tree to go to, you know, and then, um, you know, glassing, trying to find the best trees, trying to find, um, you know, scrapes from a distance, you know, deer trails, maybe probably can't see that from very far, but like basically just really slowing down. Cause you don't, the last thing you want to do is backtrack. Oh yeah. In the dark, I've done it, you know, because, because you just don't know in the dark, you know, you, you start edging your way towards a thicket or something and you're like, okay, I think I want to go like, no, here's a decent tree, but, but I think I can get a little bit deeper into the thicket. And then you go another 20 yards or so and then you're screwed. And then, so what do you do then? You just keep going and just say, screw it all you know damn near turning into a scouting mission or do you back back just 20 yards to that tree you were just at it's kind of you know i i don't like to do it i have backtracked but that's the last thing you want to do and on an evening hunt there's really no excuse to ever backtrack sure i uh dave you know that hunt in the snow where i had all those encounters real low mm -hmm. so i was i was trying to get to a pin we had we had marked in in february when we were shed hunting and uh that day, obviously, the thicket was extra thick with all the snow on, on, on kind of the autumn olive and stuff like that. So I was trucking through there, and uh, I, got, I, I got to a tunnel, and I couldn't get to my pen. I was like, I physically can't do it. 
it's been daylight for 10, 15 minutes. I actually backtracked about 35, 40 yards to, oh, there was like five trails that came together. And I remember I paused there and looked to make sure that wasn't the, uh, the area that I had marked on my Onyx. And I, I ended up backtracking that day and I got away with stuff. Um, I had a, a small buck come in my back trail. Um, but, you know, I don't think a mature buck would have done that for sure. Um, as far as evening hunts, yeah, I think you nailed it there. I don't think I need to, to speak on any of that. The only thing to wrap up, and then let's move to the next question, is um, if it's in the rut and, and you've got a doe or, or bucks seem to be using trails 40, 50 yards out, and you've already set up, yeah, everyone knows this at this point, you got to move. you got to tear down and, and go get on that 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 hot trail, if you will. Um, I know I've been on the phone with you before and you've literally said, you know, you got to make that move. Yeah. And then, and the, um, if it happens in the morning, like if you go into a spot in the dark and you hang your set and then you realize, man, man, this is crappy. I need to, I need to move 20 yards or something, you know, then, then that's a debate, you know, cause that's a tough call to make, you know, and I've done both in that situation, you know, do, do you move? Do you, do you just, you know, set it out i guess it would depend on time of year yeah and, and probably what your gut says if that does looking funky uh you you know that's a little easier call if you see a one and a half year old buck cruise a dumb shell for a dumb area you may think think ah, i've got better odds in my location but well uh, even if it's not like seeing deer even if it's just like you get up there and you realize you got minimal shooting lanes um you know you would have just been better off moving 15 yards to a different tree you know, sometimes you got to, you got to debate that. It just, you know, depends on time of year. depends on how important that hunt is to you. Are you planning on sitting there all day? You know, all those things go into, into effect. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's jump gears here to, to the final question of the, uh, kind of this podcast. Um, it, it came in from Mr. Grant Putnam, the, uh, oh, one of the co-founders of Last Breath TV he does a lot of their editing and production. And, uh, Pretty funny question, something you and I had a similar uh, first sentence out of our mouth was uh, he asked how to pattern mature whitetail without the use of like ag, man-made food plots and destinations, et cetera. Yeah, we, we don't. <laughs> we, we really don't. <laughs> um, I mean, we, yeah, we don't really, we don't we, really, pattern, you know, I mean, we've tried. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> oh, yeah. We, you know, any, like, if you look at our approach, it's more of a, um, you know, we're hunting areas that hold the most good deer, not necessarily hunting one deer. Um, we will chase a single deer. We, we've done it. We've just never really been successful at doing that. Yeah. Um, it said we, without the destination, I mean, we use scrapes as kind of a destination, I guess um specific ones sure but never pattern never like patterning a specific deer on a scrape though necessarily yeah um, not that we yeah like i said not that we haven't tried i mean we've we've got like a trail camera picture of two of of, of a good buck and we're like okay we're gonna go in here kind of after this buck in his core area on like some good buck sign on a good scrape we're thinking it's him you know then another buck comes by yeah you know uh, you know and we're not too picky <laughs> yeah like uh we talked a little bit before the podcast my 2018 buck um which you can watch that hunt on our youtube i shoot him low uh two sticks high in a thicket october 25th but uh 
that deer, I was not in there after that deer, although we went through the trail cams from January of the year before, and we had that buck in that area. And um, that trail camera told us, one, there was a mega in there. There was a real, real big buck. And then there was a handful of two-and-a-half-year-olds, and we said, well, that's a, that's a pretty good sign because those two-and-a-half-year-olds turn into our shooters pretty much. Um, yeah. And, 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 you know, so that, that wasn't necessarily a pattern. That was just kind of a buck we knew of and went after. Yeah, we definitely, we, yeah, we definitely do zero, like, long game patterning at all. You did, um, your buck this year was kind of a, a short game pattern. Yeah, it's the old 24-hour pattern. Yeah, you explain that, yeah. Yeah, so, so the, the, the you know, this year I was, I was grinding out a rut hunt and I saw this deer at 120 yards work his way to about 60 on this cruising shelf. And, you know, I, I look down and I've got, um, historic buck sign, current buck sign and a good set of tracks. And I'm thinking that deer's coming right to me. Well, he doesn't, he goes up the hill and, and, and goes about his business. And, and I said, well, shit. So the next day I come in and I come in a completely different access route and come up this bluff where he had passed by this beech tree and this down log. And I said, if he does that again, I'm, I'm going to kill him. And uh, Dave thought I was an idiot. <laughs> well, you know, like you had he already came to the area, you know, you got to figure that, you know, at least then or, or at, throughout the night, he like knew there was some human activity in there. And plus it was a rut. It was peak rut. You know, it's like, there ain't no buck going to do the same damn thing twice in, you know, two days in a row. And yeah. You know, but at the same time, you were kind of like, well, you know, um, it's the best lead I got. Yeah. Well, and so, I was also chasing the other bit. They, there was We knew of two other good deer in that area, and, and one was real good. Yeah, so you weren't necessarily all in on that buck on his pattern. You were kind of um, thinking maybe one of those two might run the same trail he did. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's – so you, you kind of killed him on a pattern. Um, you know, any of the patterning we do – um, in the big woods, because he said no ag and no, no ag, no bait piles. That's what he said. Yeah, just yeah. He goes, you you don't have kind of the the, the natural movement or the natural bed to food agriculture, man made food sources, et cetera. Yeah, and then yeah, maybe like the short term patterning, like you said. You know, um, if you if you if if I were to see a good buck, you know, moving through an area, um, especially in like October. Um, I would definitely move in on him the following day. Um, I mean, I think that's a no-brainer. I think a lot of people would do that. Um, but that's about the, the only patterning we're doing. And we, we can't – we have ag fields in Ohio, you know, even some on public or some on private that butt up to public. And, um, you, know, you, you know, it's just with the family life and stuff, you know, and plus, we, you know, you got to drive an hour, hour and a half from home. You know, we can't just like sit bean fields all the time. You know, I mean, it's you know, if if I could, I would. You know, then I might try to kill a buck on a pattern opening day or something. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we've done it. Uh, actually, uh, think about the deer I saw. This had been two years ago. I was pulling a trail camera, and I called you because I was like, "Dude, Dave, I just seen a buck on his feet in this area." And then you and Andy went in there and had a pretty good hunt, but like. Same thing. It was just a short-term pattern we were hoping to connect on. It wasn't. It wasn't like yeah. I knew that deer had lived there for five years or anything like that. Or, or you know, it's just. And, and we also don't have. Uh, again, coming back to some trail camera stuff. We we as a team 
don't have uh, the history of, of running, working good cameras, having a lot of them, utilizing them. And, and maybe that's something we're, we're going to stumble onto now that we've kind of invested in some better trail cams and, and made an effort to run those a little more here over the next couple of years. Well, and then and as far as like getting a pattern on a trail cam, you know, it's tough to do because you're so intrusive when you're checking the camera. It's like it's 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 damn near impossible to to find a you know pattern a buck with trail cameras, you know, um, you know when you gotta hike your way in there to check the camera. So how you know he's gonna know you've been in the area? Yeah, it's not like you can. I mean, unless you pull the card, um, you know, at I don't know eight a.m. and he's been in there the last three nights you know then you might be able to come that that evening and again but that's a short that, pattern kind of thing is yeah yeah but then he comes through there that night you know and if you're not hunting there he's gonna know that you've been there and he ain't gonna come back yeah so it's it's tough it's tough to, it's tough to pattern deer with trail cameras i'm not sure how some people do it i guess yeah. cell cameras are a different obviously yeah yeah and guys that can run their cams on 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 um less intrusive areas or, or ride a four-wheeler that that doesn't tip the deer off that they're being um hunted as like that i think it, it could help yeah I, yeah I, definitely. yeah i i think you know yeah it'd be it'd be interesting to see if we could chase one of these deer year over year um but we just don't i don't know if we've got that that uh, experience right now to to call on a lot of ours are, are same year kind of moves and shifts and you know basically a lot of it's going off of visuals yeah, and then if we were to pull a camera like mid September or something that would just have like a mega stud on it, like you know, like a booner or so. I mean, I think we would definitely like throw a lot more eggs in that basket at that point. Oh yeah, you've said that about a couple deer. Yeah, you know, and then maybe try to pattern that deer. You know, if if there was, but like you know, for the most part, we're not patterning deer. We're just hunting um, general areas that hold that that we've found to hold good bucks throughout the years sure. at least as far as october goes you know we're hunting maybe food sources you know below bedding points um, we're trying to catch them in between or in october we might be just diving deep and just throwing a dart into a bedding area you know um and tiptoeing our way in and out of there um basically in october and then come rut it's just train features you know, and then you, you, you might get a pattern, hey, train features and doe bedding, obviously, yeah. but you might get a, uh, right. you, know, like that you might pattern a deer, you might not, but that's not definitely not something that we, we do. Yeah. 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 And, and I think it could come. I think, uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping some of the stuff I've been doing on a small piece that, that maybe I can hold a deer year over year. And hopefully some of these, Oh, I think I think that's to come. I, I'm not going to write that one completely off. I'll never pattern a deer, but um, it's a it's a it's a time commitment. You know, yeah. a lot more time to do, especially if you're talking glassing and stuff. And you might have you know days and days of sitting on bean fields and not seeing a you know not seeing the buck you're trying to find. Yeah, you know, and it's just you know with families and lives, man, it's tough. Yeah, you. I, I've heard Adam Hayes. Obviously, he's he's chasing giant giants, but uh. I think he sat in a summer, he glassed, I think, 40 evenings, right? And if you do rough math, what is summer like uh, 90 days? If you, you know, if you take June, July, August, so he said he glassed 40 days in a row before he, he, he got a uh, visual on his 
hit one of his 200 inch bucks and it, uh, yeah. it's tough man we do as a whitetail experience as a whole i know come season people see us out there hunting you know quite a bit grinding out and stuff but other than that i mean we definitely are all about maximizing your time away from family you know the the best that you can yeah you know, it goes back to the very first thing that Greg Tubb said and stuff, you know, as far as deploying trail cameras when you're out turkey hunting. Because realistically, like, it's hard to get days away from home, you know, or away from work. And it's like, well, I already drove the hour and a half. And like, I got to spend that little bit extra 20 minutes to go hang this camera. Exactly. Because I can come back and spend another half day driving here, walking in, hanging it, and walking out and driving home. And, you know, half a day and $20 in gas. It's, you know, we, have, we definitely have kind of, you know, for the most part, <laughs> kind of mastered the doing, doing the most with, with very limited available time. Yeah. Yeah. I did. I, I would love it if I lived say 20 minutes or 15 minutes from a, a piece of ground I was hunting. Um, I think that would be a, a game changer. Um, you listen to some of these guys like, uh, Oh, Joe and, 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 um, from the hunting beast talk about he can walk or Andy may walking, walking fields to catch tracks, uh, uh, you know, of big bucks on his lunch hour. And I just can't do that. I know how to do that, but I, I physically can't get that done. It's time, man. I mean, them guys are, them guys are big buck killers for a reason. You know, they, they put so much time into it, Yeah. you know, it's, that's, that's what makes them the best, you know? Sure. Sure. All right, Dave, wrapping this thing up, we're going to try this as a segment. This is your specialty. I think it was a great idea. It's, it's the Dave's rant section of this podcast. And so, Dave, what is the topic today? And, and let's go ahead and get into it. We, we got about mm, probably a few minutes, about, try and do this in about four minutes. Oh, it'll take me about 30 seconds. Okay. So my rant of the day today is weightlifting in hunting videos. Not a fan of it. Don't think it should happen. Don't want to see you lifting weights. I don't care if you do CrossFit. The only time I want to see you potentially working out in the hunt video is if you're climbing hills, doing stair steps or something, stair stepper, stair master, um, running, backpack hikes. And that's only if you're just trying to get your fat ass into shape so you can go out west or something, you know? Like, I don't want to, you know... I just, I'm not a fan of a lot of stuff. I don't care if you do curls. I don't care if you can bench a lot of weight. You know, I know we've probably thrown some of that workout stuff into our videos, maybe a time or two. And that's all thanks to Byron because he's the workout guy and the editor. And we work out as a white toe experience, you know. Um, you know, Byron probably works out more than, than, than most people out there. And um, so it's not that we don't do it and don't think that it benefits hunting. But I don't want to see them corny ass weight room shots in a hunting video you know this is not bodybuilding it's hunting put your damn shirt on all right Dave that is your rant um I have some thoughts on it but I think we got to leave it as, as that that's it I think we got to close her out <laughs> sounds um, good all right well guys thanks for tuning into this podcast uh we we actually have some mics on order to to kind of improve audio once COVID 19 knocks down dave and i can do these in person so flow should improve audio should improve uh we just kind of hope that that what we're doing is something you guys are enjoying um until that i think team hard-earned bucks we're out see you